Good morning, everybody. You are listening to or you are watching A Cup of St. Joe, where I serve an espresso shot of teaching and devotion to St. Joseph during Pope Francis's year of St. Joseph. In the very early days of this series, I did a little spotlight on Blessed William Joseph Chaminade, who uh, in consecration of St. Joseph, a homily was included in the addendum. And there's a second homily that was included, or maybe not a homily, more of a writing or a treatise or something like that, by a theologian named Father Reginald Garangu Lagrange. And I've heard about Father Lagrange quite a bit. I have a few of his books. Uh, and actually, this excerpt in Father Calloway's consecration book comes to us from one of the Marian books, Mother of the Interior Life by Father Reginald Gerengru Lagrange. And so today I'm very excited to be speaking with a professor, Dr. Taylor Patrick O'Neill. In the first case, because uh, we overlapped one year at St. Norbert College. So I didn't get to know him too much at St. Norbert, but we had some of the same friends. So uh, here we are. He's on Twitter. I've been following him for a while on Twitter. And, um, you know, really, he's settled into this niche of theology. He has a doctorate in theology. He's a professor, a husband, a father of six. He loves St. Thomas Aquinas. And we'll learn how St. Thomas and Father Reginald Garangu Lagrange, how they come together. And he also is the author of, and this is an academic book, Grace, Predestination, and the Permission of Sin. So it's great to talk with you today, Dr. O'Neill. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and thanks for your willingness to do this. And, uh, you know, we hear about some of these great thinkers throughout time. And, and here's one, Father Reginald Garangu Lagrange. And I'm probably slaughtering his name with every attempt. But I know from following you on social media that you have kind of an affinity you love, in a sense, Father Reginald Gergu Lagrange. And so um, why is it that, or maybe first, actually, who is he? And then why do you like him so much? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Father, Father Gergu Lagrange was um, probably one of the most uh, famous theologians of his day. So he died in 1964. Um, and he had sort of declined a bit. So he wasn't really at all present with uh, the Second Vatican Council, but was probably one of the top two or three most world famous theologians up until the time of the council. Um, so he was a Dominican. He taught for uh, 50 years or just over 50 years at the Angelicum in Rome. Um, and he wrote prolifically. So he wrote commentaries on uh, Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologica. He wrote a number of standalone books, articles, etc. Um, one of the last really great uh, Thomist philosophers and theologians who was really prolific. I mean, there's still great Thomists today, of course, um, but he was one of the last really uh, huge world figures uh, for Thomistic theology. Okay. And so he's an author of several books. I know I have at least two of his books on my shelf. He has one on the priesthood and one on Mary. And so it makes sense that a priest dedicated to Mary would have these books. And you mentioned that he studied, he wrote a lot about St. Thomas Aquinas. And Thomas Aquinas is one of the great thinkers in all of Catholicism, one of the doctors of the church called the angelic doctor. And uh, could you just maybe... People who subscribe to the theology or really study it, 
uh, of Thomas Aquinas are called Thomists. And so what are some of the basic tenets of Thomism or what makes a person a Thomist? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, I think I would say that Thomism is a kind of a body of thought on a living tradition of theology, which begins with St. Thomas Aquinas, and, um, but is further extrapolated by a lot of other thinkers throughout history, philosophers and theologians. Um, and the, the mission of Thomism, I think, is really just simply put to unpack the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas to understand more deeply what it is that St. Thomas taught, and to apply the, the distinctions and the insights that St. Thomas gives to the church to contemporary questions, new questions, etc. Um, I think there's a lot of things you could point to that, that mark St. Thomas's theology as being different from other theologians. Um, probably one of them uh, is his, his very uh, rigorous and emphatic um, view that faith and reason are compatible, that philosophy and theology are distinct disciplines and sciences, but that they are um, able to mutually enrich each other. And I think that was really influential on the Second Vatican Council, um, and especially on um, recent popes like John Paul II and his encyclical Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason. Um, so I, I think that would at least be one of the major characteristics of Thomism. Okay. And when we are speaking now about this little writing in the addendum of Father Calloway's Consecration of St. Joseph book, he, Father Garangu Lagrange, he writes, the predestination of St. Joseph and his eminent sanctity. And uh, in, in your byline, you know, you have a book about predestination. So could you explain maybe what is predestination? And this is really the main point that Father Garen de Lagrange is bringing out. So how do we understand St. Joseph's predestination? Yeah, so I, I guess the first thing I would say is that a lot of times when we as Catholics hear this term predestination, we our first thought is, well, Catholics don't believe in predestination. Um, and it's true that Catholics don't believe in predestination as we oftentimes hear it described, which is um, uh, a Calvinist uh, position, which is that God just sort of arbitrarily picks people out and sends them to heaven or sends them to hell in a way which uh, contradicts their freedom. Um, there is a Catholic view of predestination, which flows from the great doctors of the church, the fathers of the church, St. Augustine especially, um, which essentially holds that uh, we are free that all of our good actions and evil actions are free, that we could have acted otherwise, but that when we perform good actions, it's also the case that we are only performing those good actions insofar as God is giving us the grace to do them, because as St. Paul tells us, all good comes from God, right? So there's not anything good that we have that we haven't received first from God. And so regarding St. Joseph, uh, um, what, what Garrigou Lagrange is saying, is arguing, is that St. Joseph is called by God um, for incredibly extraordinary vocation, that is to be foster father to Jesus Christ, right? Foster father to the person who is the sort of center point of all of creation, mm -hmm. the center point of all of salvation history, and that because of that very special vocation that St. Joseph is called to, he's given a preeminent degree of grace so that he can be preeminently virtuous, um, second only to the Blessed Mother. Um, and so 
St. Joseph, in his predestination, what this means is that it isn't as though God is looking out at the world and thinking, well, who's most fitting? Who's the best guy that I can come up with to be foster father to Christ? Rather, it's God who makes Joseph to be as virtuous as he is, so that he is fittingly a virtuous foster father and exemplar for, for, for our Lord. And there are lots of different points in theology that we can talk about St. Joseph. And uh, I had a wonderful episode with Dr. Robert Fistigi, and uh, we spoke about Josephology and some of these kind of tenets of Josephology that people have extrapolated. And so one of them is the sanctification of Joseph in the womb, or maybe the holiness of St. Joseph. That just as Mary was immaculately conceived, that just as John the Baptist was sanctified when the greeting of, of Mary reached Elizabeth's ears, that maybe there was a sanctification of St. Joseph. And uh, Garangu says, we cannot say at what precise moment St. Joseph's sanctification took place, but we can say that from the time of his marriage to Our Lady, he was confirmed in grace because of his special mission. So it, he doesn't want to comment on this. He kind of grants it, I think, a little bit, uh, but what, what do you think about the sanctification of St. Joseph? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because, um, you know, theologically, we maintain that it isn't until the time of Christ um, and the salvific act of Christ, uh, his death and resurrection, that the gift of sanctifying grace is bestowed upon the believer. And sanctifying grace is that grace which makes us begin to participate in the divine nature and begin to be on our way to heaven, right? And so those great patriarchs and matriarchs of the Old Testament, we know that they had to await the time of Christ because they had to await the bestowal of sanctifying grace um, until uh, Christ sort of opens the way, right, uh, to heaven. So we, we might ask then, well, why would someone maintain or how would someone maintain that Joseph is in a state sanctifying grace before um, the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, well, this would have to be an extraordinary movement of grace where Joseph is receiving grace in some way mysteriously, still through the church, still through Christ. Um, why would he receive grace before the salvific act of Christ? Well, precisely, Gergu says, because Joseph needs to be um, accomplishing this extraordinary mission. And so it would be, um, it would be quite difficult to comprehend how Joseph would fulfill such an extraordinary mission to be foster father to our Lord if he's not in a state of grace, right? If he's not infused with the theological virtues, etc. And so it does seem to be the case, although Gergu is, is um, he hesitates to say, well, it's precisely this moment or that moment. What he does recognize is that at the beginning of Joseph's uh, marriage to, to Mary, Joseph is um, already fulfilling this extraordinary mission to protect Mary to protect her virginity, to protect her innocence and virtue, and to begin to protect Jesus in the womb. And so insofar as Joseph from that moment on is participating in that vocation and that mission, he must already be uh, infused by the grace that he needs to properly fulfill that mission. You know, there's one of the great things that I uh, appreciate about reading some of the great thinkers like Reginald Garangu Lagrange or Thomas Aquinas, any number of these people is that you get to see who they've cited, who they're, 
who they're reading, who they're quoting. Um, I have this new book on St. Louis de Montfort that I came out with. And, and that was one thing that really struck me. All of the people that were in the library of St. Louis de Montfort. And so then we encounter their thought. And so there's one here that uh, really strikes me. And this is uh, from Jacques Meunier Bousset, And again, probably slaughtered it. But he talks about the silence of Joseph. He was revealed to St. Joseph who is to remain silent and keep him hidden. And that's interesting because, you know, I, I think we always associate the silence with St. Joseph that, you know, he doesn't have any spoken words in the scriptures and we just associate silence with him, but he wasn't silent his whole life. He would have spoken, he would have done these things. So maybe, you know, this is just my own pious rumination, but I'm wondering, do you think there's an exaggeration when it comes to the silence of St. Joseph? Yeah, I think that it's clear that we, we would have to know, even though scripture doesn't directly say anything about this, we, we know that Joseph was a father to Christ, right? He was a father to, uh, to Jesus. And so we know all of the things that, that come with natural fatherhood and spiritual fatherhood. And so we would have to apply those things to Joseph and not just apply them, but apply them preeminently. Um, and so I think, I think the, the desire to emphasize the silence of Joseph is a desire to emphasize the fact that while Joseph is clearly teaching, speaking, leading the Holy Family, it's always in the background. It's always hidden from the public life of the church precisely because Joseph is an exemplar of humility so that um, he isn't uh, lauding himself, nor does scripture laud him. But as, as Gergu says, at the end of time, we will finally see, as all things are revealed, we'll finally see just how active Joseph was as a leader, how he did speak and teach, and how glorious his speaking and teaching was, and yet at the same time, how humble one would have to be to speak and to teach and lead so well, and yet to make no mention of it and not to expect any mention of it. Um, uh, and so I think there, Joseph is, is truly, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but Joseph really is an exemplar for humility. Humility doesn't mean doing nothing. It just means not boasting in, in hopefully the good things that, that uh, God is doing in and through us. And I think that's exactly what Joseph is doing. Great things, but without boasting. Now for you, you are a husband, you are a father, uh, you're a theologian, you've studied these great mysteries of God. I'm wondering, how is it personally now, we've been given this year of St. Joseph, how have you uh, practiced or deepened your own devotion to St. Joseph during this year? How do you look to him as a husband or a father? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. I mean, not as much as I should have, I'll say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think just being mindful, small prayers, thinking of St. Joseph, having a kind of mental image of St. Joseph is helpful for me. I think that in the same way that St. Joseph clearly was an exemplar for our Lord, um, and yet strangely was constantly um, aware of the fact that the person that he was called to lead is infinitely greater than he is, is God himself. Um, I think that's a helpful image because um, it reminds it reminds one that uh, although Christ was not himself a human father, 
Christ was acutely aware of uh, what it means to be a human father, had had for himself the perfect example of it. And the perfect example is really to instruct and teach and lead children in a way which is completely similar to the way that Christ uh, abandons his own self-interests on the cross, right? And so we know that Joseph is doing the same thing, abandoning his, his self-interests at every moment to give what is needed to the Blessed Mother and to our Lord. And although it's obviously, it's very difficult, it's especially difficult for me, <laughs> uh, that, um, yeah, to remember that although you sort of have authority over your children or whatever, that that authority is always to be handed back in humility, to recede into the background as you sacrifice, at least to try to do that as much as possible, which is exactly what Joseph has done. So that when you're thinking and talking about St. Joseph, you can't really say a whole lot about St. Joseph without always referencing the Blessed Mother or our Lord. Um, so that it, Joseph is always sort of radiating the grace and the love of Christ off of himself and pointing beyond himself. And I think that that's what uh, natural fatherhood should always be doing as well, right? Sure, sure. And, you know, we can think about Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, especially regarding our own death, you know, that one day we're going to die. We want to lead our families. We want to lead our people uh, to the kingdom of heaven. And so um, what interesting quote from Gergou Lagrange about the death of St. Joseph. He, he quotes St. Francis de Sales and also Suarez, Suarez believed that St. Joseph was one of the saints who rose after the resurrection of the Lord. But of course, Thomas Aquinas, who he caters heavily to, he says, is much more reserved regarding this point. What do you think about this resurrection of, not the resurrection, but really some would call it the assumption of Joseph? Uh, any, any take on the death of Joseph and, and um, you know, we don't have a tomb of his, etc. So... Yeah, it's a yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, like the question of the death of of Mary, um, there's no definitive church teaching, and so it's sort of left up to the faithful, left up to theologians to contemplate um, and to make holy and pious guesses. <laughs> I would say, um, uh, I think that uh, there's there's a strong argument to be made uh, for Saint Thomas that. Um, that Joseph and his resurrection would be part and, and perhaps pinnacle of the general resurrection, especially insofar as Joseph has a role as um, guardian of the church, that when the resurrection of the individual bodies which make up the body of Christ are taking place, that Joseph would be present and also resurrected at the same time. Um, Although, again, Scripture does not tell us anything definitively about what happens with Joseph's death, what happens with his body, etc. As you mentioned, we don't have a tomb. You would suspect that we would have that. Um, so I think it's really up for pious, sort of pious debate among, among people. But yeah, in the absence of evidence, I, I usually, uh, or definitive teaching in one way or the other, I think it's oftentimes wise counsel to follow what, what the common doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas, has to say. Sure. And we do look at him. We look at all these people throughout the ages who have talked, who have reflected, written uh, about these questions. And ultimately, you know, if we reach the kingdom of heaven, we'll know these answers. We can seek them if we so desire uh, from the almighty himself. So, 
Uh, I'd like to thank you so much, Dr. Taylor O'Neill, for joining me today to talk about Father Gergou Lagrange and his little reflection that is contained in the Consecration of St. Joseph book uh, by Father Donald Calloway. So thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much. This was a blessing. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I always think it's a, you know, it's a good thing, a good and holy thing for us to think about, you know, Mary and the saints and St. Joseph, especially. And, and Pope Francis really has given us this gift to unpack all of these different mysteries and to grow in our appreciation of St. Joseph. And today we did that by looking at somebody else who reflected upon him at greater length uh, than we can. Yeah, I think that I, I agree. And I think that this is uh, a remarkable gift to be given a year of St. Joseph. And so, um, and also just a great blessing to come on and speak with you, not just about St. Joseph, but about Gergou Lagrange, who, yeah, I think is great theologian. So if you haven't read him, I would recommend everyone go out and try and find something, even something small to read by him. So if there was one book, like, let's say someone is interested, they want to go a little deeper in theology and the study of theology, which book uh, of Gergou's would you recommend? Yeah, there are a number of really excellent books of his that have gone out of print, unfortunately, just over the last few years. Um, so if you can find, there's one called Reality, um, uh, A Synthesis of Thomism, that one's really good. Um, a little bit higher level uh, academic, slightly academic. Um, otherwise, one that's very easy to get your hands on is called Knowing the Love of God, Lessons from a Spiritual Master. Uh, I think it has a foreword from Scott Hahn. Um, it's a, a collection of homilies that Gergou Lagrange had given, uh, I think at some uh, retreats for Dominicans. Okay. Um, I think that's a great place to start. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I can't say that I've read him extensively. I've, you know, paged through Mother of the Interior Life, looking at certain questions that I was researching at the time and trying to get his thought, but he's not one that I've, you know, uh, studied uh, intensely myself. So so I, I look forward to maybe the opportunity of reading some more from him myself. Today, we have been uh, listening to A Cup of St. Joe, and I've served an espresso shot of teaching about St. Joseph from Father Reginald Garagulagraj. I invite you to stay tuned now as we have a, an espresso shot of devotion as we pray the litany of St. Joseph. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. God, the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy on us. God, the Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. Holy Mary, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Illustrious Son of David, pray for us. Light of Patriarchs, pray for us. Spouse of the Mother of God, pray for us. Chaste guardian of the Virgin, pray for us. Foster father of the Son of God, pray for us. Watchful defender of Christ, pray for us. Head of the Holy Family, pray for us. Joseph, most just, pray for us. Joseph, most chaste, pray for us. Joseph, most prudent, pray for us. Joseph, most valiant, pray for us. Joseph, most obedient, pray for us. Joseph, most faithful, pray for us. Mirror of patience, pray for us. Lover of poverty, pray for us. Model of workmen, pray for us. Glory of home life, pray for us. Guardian of virgins, 
pray for us. Pillar of families, pray for us. Solace of the afflicted, pray for us. Hope of the sick, pray for us. Patron of the dying, pray for us. Terror of demons, pray for us. Protector of Holy Church, pray for us. Guardian of the Redeemer, pray for us. Servant of Christ, pray for us. Minister of Salvation, pray for us. Guide in times of trouble, pray for us. Protector of exiles, pray for us. Protector of the afflicted, pray for us. Protector of the poor, pray for us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. He made him the Lord of his household and prince over all his possessions. Let us pray. O God, who in thine ineffable providence did vouchsafe to choose blessed Joseph to be the spouse of thy most holy mother, grant, we beseech thee, that he whom we venerate as our protector on earth may be our intercessor in heaven, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.